Y'all's no joke. Good job, y'all. There are certain times that, like, I'll hear a song in church, and it's like, I don't know if I want to stand up and start shouting, like, if I want to, like, stand up and preach, or if I just want to, like, be pressed down into my seat in prayer, and that was one of those those times that arrangement was was awesome and well executed as well. Pray with me, please, this morning. God, I um, ask that you would be with us in these next moments as you have been in the previous moments, that as you were moving our souls through song and prayer earlier in this service, that you would move our souls as we hear your scripture read and the word proclaimed. I pray, God, that the words that I speak would be your words, and the words that are heard would be your words. And I pray that you would give us courage to follow your will and to live in your way. Amen. So we are in the book of Matthew for the next few weeks. I'm really excited about it. It's, I think it's really important for us who call ourselves followers of Jesus to spend real solid amounts of time reading the Gospels. There's a, a guy that I used to pay really close attention to in his teaching. He doesn't do much public teaching anymore, so he's harder to follow. But he... Uh, got his Ph.D. in religious studies in Israel at a Jewish university and studied mostly with rabbis. And they would say to him, who is your rabbi? And he would say, Jesus. And so then they would start asking him questions about Jesus that he didn't know the answers to. And his thing was like, we should be reading all four Gospels a couple of times every month, along with all of our other reading. And I don't know, like... I think we all have to discern that sort of stuff for, our, for ourselves, but it's important that we read the Gospels. Those are the places where Jesus talks, and we get to see what Jesus was about. And this story from today is one of the most famous stories from Jesus' life. It's the story of the loaves and the fishes, and lots of people read it, lots of people know it. It's one of those things that's just kind of in our culture, like if you're somewhere, somewhere and you're like, yeah, that's like a loaves and fishes story. Most of the time, people will know what you're talking about, even if they've never read the Gospels. And this miracle story is in all four Gospels. It's one of the few miracle stories that is in all four Gospels. And so even the most skeptical of scholars will say that something like this happened. Something around loaves and fishes and feeding of a large crowd took place in the life of Jesus as he was preaching. And so... The exact way it happened, we don't know, but we know something like this most certainly happened. Even the most skeptical among us would say so. So this is in Matthew chapter 14. And I want to set the stage a little bit before I read to you uh, this passage. Um, I want to set the stage. And so when we start off reading this, you'll see that it says, When Jesus heard about John. Well, what had happened earlier in chapter 14 is that Jesus... All the movement and stuff back there is a real distraction to me, so if we could... Thank you. Um, If... if, uh, What Jesus had just found out is that his cousin, John the Baptist, had been murdered. By Herod. And so we hear this story of Herod having a big party. 
and his girlfriend's wife, daughter comes out and dances for them. And all these people are around, and there's lots of food to eat, and it's like lifestyles of the rich and shameless happening right in front of our eyes as we read that passage. And the next thing we know is that the girl that has kind of wooed Herod over with her dancing, he says, I'll give you anything you want. And at her mother's urging, she says, I want the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And Herod delivers that promise. John the Baptist was Jesus' cousin. Their moms were pregnant together. There's this amazing story of when they run into each other and, and, and encounter one another during their pregnancy that the babies within their wombs leapt. We know that John was a prophet of God sent to prepare the way for Jesus and he was murdered, and Jesus finds out about it. And we pick the story up at verse 13. When Jesus heard about John, he withdrew in a boat to a deserted place by himself. When the crowds learned this, they followed him on foot from the, from the cities. And when Jesus arrived and saw a large crowd, he had compassion for them and healed those who were sick. That evening, his disciples came and said to him, This is an isolated place, and it's getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said to them, There's no need to send them away. You give them something to eat. They replied, We have nothing here except five loaves and two fish. He said, Bring them here to me. He ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass. He took the five loaves of bread and the two fish. He looked up to heaven, blessed them, and broke the loaves apart and gave them to his disciples. Then the disciples gave them to the crowds. Everyone ate until they were full, and they filled 12 baskets with the leftovers. About 5,000 men plus women and children had eaten. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God, and may God give us wisdom and courage for interpretation and wisdom and courage to apply the truth of Scripture to our lives. Amen. I'm going to resist the temptation to focus entirely on calling the miracle of feeding a multitude of people with five loaves and two fish, a miracle. And it's not a temptation because it wasn't a miracle. Like, it's not, it's not a significant thing for the God who created heaven and earth and humans and love and peace and compassion. It's not that big of a deal for that God to take five loaves and two fish and feed thousands of people with it. Like, it's a miracle to us. It's a big deal to us. But to God, it's not that big of a thing. All you have to do is look out the window of your house today or drive down the road and look at the beauty all around us. The Oregon Mountains are majestic, literally majestic. And when the sun is setting in the west and that light is hitting those mountains this evening, you can look at those mountains and recognize that this miracle of feeding some people is not that big of a deal in the realm of God. But I think there are two miracles that we miss in this story, and I really want to highlight those today. 
The first of the two miracles is that Jesus is here. Jesus, Matthew tells us in chapter 1 of his gospel that Jesus is called Emmanuel, God with us. So Jesus' presence with the people, that in itself is a big deal. But what Jesus is here to do is to tell us about the character of God and who God the Creator is and what God is about. And when we look at Jesus and we recognize that Jesus is showing us who God is and what God is about, and we come across this verse 14, Jesus is grieving and Jesus is hurting because his cousin was literally murdered in a brutal way. And his death was celebrated by the richest people around. The very next thing Matthew shows us, it's like, it's like going from watching the Kardashians or something like that to looking at a, a, a newsreel of children being detained at the border and put into cages. It's that stark of a difference that Matthew is painting, maybe even a bigger one. So these rich people have celebrated the absolute brutal murder of one of God's prophets. And then the next thing we see is Jesus grieving and going to a place by himself, and people are so desperate to be in the presence of God that they follow him. And verse 14 says, When Jesus arrived and saw a large crowd, he had compassion for them. And he healed those who were sick. In ancient times, there were two different, basically two different ways that people thought about God. The one was like very philosophical, that God is like the ground of all being, or the unmoved mover, or the first that there was. Very philosophical, lots of head knowledge around that. And that was kind of the way the philosophers thought of it. But in Rome, and the way that Herod would have been thinking about it, is that God is powerful and strong, and God is on the side of the rich and the powerful, and that God will lift them up, and it's their job to subdue everybody who's less than, because God has blessed those who are rich, and God has cursed those who are poor. We call that... Prosperity gospel preaching today. And the truth is that God is with all of us and God is for all of us. It's not that rich people are blessed more. In fact, there are some theologians who would say God is with the poor and oppressed in ways that God is not with the rich. And better for us to be them that are poor and oppressed than us who are wealthy and rich. I don't know if that's true or not. But I do know that in ancient times, a God who would move away from the rich party of Herod to the poor folks who were gathered around and didn't have enough to eat is a miracle. And I hope that during these days when all of us are living with a little bit of fear and anxiety, and maybe a lot of us are living with a lot of fear and anxiety, it's like that itch that you can't scratch, like something just isn't settling right with us in the world today, the fact that we have a God who is with us. I hope that that brings you hope. That we are not alone. We live in God's world. 
who has created and is creating, who has come in Jesus, the Word made flesh, to reconcile and make new, who works in us and others by the Spirit. We have a God who is with us and who shows compassion. That evening, his disciples came to him and said, this is an isolated place. And it's getting late. Send the crowds away so that they can go into the villages and buy food for themselves. In ancient times, anthropologists and archaeologists that study the ancient Middle East would say that food scarcity, what we call food scarcity, wasn't just something that existed. It was a pandemic. Because the rich held all of the wealth, all of the wealth. And so it's a strange thing for the disciples to say, send them away so they can go get something to eat. They didn't have money to buy something to eat with. And there was no grocery store right around the corner. They were in an isolated place. And so Jesus performs the second miracle, which is this. There's no need to send them away. You give them something to eat. You give them something to eat. I think it is an absolute miracle that should bring all of us tremendous hope that when there is a major need in the world, God shows compassion and God works through us. Common, everyday people who have no real skill set and no real knowledge that could make that big of a difference in the world, but we can through the power of God. And so they take the bread that they have and the fish that they have and they give it to Jesus and they trust that Jesus is going to do something with it. They offer what they had. And through them... Jesus performs a miracle. I want you to hear me very clearly. Jesus does, has, and will continue to work miracles through you. Jesus has, does, and will continue to work miracles through you And if you know Stuart Davenport, you know how big of a miracle it is that God would do a miracle through him. If you know me, if you know Guillermo, if you know Randy, if you know Kathy, if you know Christian, if you know Jonathan, you know that it is a miracle of miracles that God would work a miracle through any of us. Because we're all messed up, flawed, basic, everyday people. But it gives me tremendous hope that every person I see in the world is a vessel of God's action. If we will open ourselves up and give to God whatever we have to be used. Because where there is pain in the world, God desires to bring healing and relief And God does that through the body of Christ, which is us. Where there is desperation in the world, God brings hope. And God brings it through us. 
Where there is poverty in the world and hunger in the world, God brings food and God brings things to alleviate that suffering through us, the body of Christ. That is the miracle of this story. Not that Jesus took some bread and fish and multiplied them. That, that's nothing for the God who created everything. But the fact that God would use us, who have to come back every single Sunday and confess the same stupid sins day after day after day, and God still loves us enough to use us to bring hope and love to the world. That's who we are. That's what we're about. We are about the God who created everything, including love. We are about being used by that God to further the kingdom of God here and now. We pray every Sunday, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I hope that you pray that with expectation that you will see this place be more and more and more like heaven. And you know how it happens? Through you. Not by us just sitting around and watching TV, but by us doing everything we can do, everything we can do, which sometimes isn't much. But it doesn't take much. It takes a couple of pieces of bread and a couple of fish to do incredible things for those who are in need. So let's get going. Let's do it. We as Morningstar, we as the churches in Las Cruces, let's do it. Let's stop sitting on our hands hoping that things change and let's start being the change. We have schools that have students who don't have technology to get access to the education that they need. Let's make sure that they get that education. We have people in this town who are hungry and can't get here on Tuesday mornings to get food, let's give away food on Wednesday nights or something. We have people in this town who don't know where they're going to get their next meal or where they're going to sleep tonight. Let's make sure that they have that. You have people that you work with who are desperately afraid of something and they don't even know what it is. Be the person who's open to hearing that. We all get to be part of the body of Christ, used for God's glory to usher in this kingdom that John the Baptist got murdered for preaching about and Jesus got murdered for ushering in. We have nothing to fear. So I would highly encourage all of you, Stuart, we already have almost 100 volunteer hours in one week and we were hoping to get that in a month. Maybe we should shoot for 200 or 300 or 400 volunteer hours in a month. And go to the website. If you don't know where to go and what to do for volunteering, go to our website and click on the Volunteerathon. There are amazing things that we can do to offer hope in a world that is feeling hopeless. And that is a miracle. That you, as broken as you are, and I, as messed up as I am, can be used by God. May we go and do it in the name of our Creator, Redeemer, and Sustainer. Amen.